1: it's time for the daily tip with michael jenkins dang it and let's be honest i go for ambition not look and chelsea messenger don't kill the messenger or the messenger will kill you, you. hey dad don't forget about me the dunkster presented by betmgm good morning everyone good morning
2: Oh, Jenks. Good morning. I wasn't sure who was going to be the point guard this morning, but we are having some technical difficulties. So I think that Jenks, I am going to uh, take it just for a second. Hopefully you can hear me because that's another issue as well, but this is the daily tip and it is the Mondays of all mondays here on the show but we have some great content to get to here in a minute of course we've got monday night football coming your way in what looks to be probably the best primetime matchup of the year so far we've got the eagles and the chiefs squaring off and a short spread and a relatively high total so we're looking forward to it also we will get into what we saw in college football in week 12 the biggest ups the biggest downs and what we learned from betting on the NFL this past weekend. Jenks, can you hear me? Can you see me? What's going on today? And you're muted. <laughs> and we can't hear yeah. you.
1: Okay, Here, try again. Now? Can you hear me now?
2: There we go. There
1: we go. Finally, it only took a few minutes on a Monday. Yes, I am doing fantastic. How are you this morning?
2: we could be better we could be better but uh listen when the pocket breaks down you've got to learn not to panic and you keep your cool so that's what we're gonna do here on the show uh it sounds like you're a little echoey i think you were on your computer mike but let's get into what we saw over the weekend when it came to our bets so let's start with mine uh jenks had the day off so it was pj who filled in but I only had one bet over the weekend, and boy, was it a sweat. This was a terrible game, but I had the under. So I was sweating till the very end. Had the under 41 in the Jets and the Bills. The Bills won at 32 to six. Let me tell you, this was not a game that I enjoyed. And sweating the under was no fun either, but we came out on the other end with a W, so all is well. As for PJ, he had uh, several underdogs this weekend, had Maryland plus six and a half over number 21 Villanova. Uh, This was in basketball, if you were wondering. Uh, Villanova won at 57 to 40, had uh, Arizona State plus 23 and a half in football against number six oregon oregon uh boat raced him uh 149 to 13 and talk about a bad beat had the cardinals plus four and a half at the texans and the texans won by five if he would have gotten that number just a little bit later i think this number went to six uh but a tough day or a tough weekend for pj but as for the crew uh five and one for me five and one for jinx and the Dogster, well, tough sledding for him as well, went 2-6 and six for the week after a loss. And uh, the Cardinals Texans had the over 47.5. That one ended 21-16. to 16. Uh, As for Double D, he had his big Double D degenerate parlay and did not come home. But also, I was telling him this, it was 350-1. So clearly, it was a very long shot. It did not come home. David, I think I was the most upset about James Madison because you have been so spot on on James Madison all season long, and it felt like the magic finally came to an end. They lost outright to Appalachian State.
1: I blame uh, ESPN and Pat McAfee, if you want me to be real honest, honest about it. Them going there, McAfee saying what he did, yeah, it all led to them losing. So I blame I blame ESPN and Pat McAfee
2: yes when in doubt pass the blame to ESPN and Pat McAfee uh but some good wins in there I will say I was on that Louisville one as well uh that was kind of a sweat but you only had him on the money line so that was a good win there uh as far as the NFL goes What a bookend to a great weekend in the NFL as we had an amazing Sunday night football game. Uh, You're listening to The Daily Tip presented by Ben MGM. I'm Chelsea Messenger. He's Michael Jenkins. And last night, a one-point win for the Denver Broncos, who have now rattled off a few wins in a row. And it was kind of the meeting of two teams that had a ton of momentum riding into this game. We all saw what Josh Jobs was doing for the Minnesota Vikings, and we wondered... If it would come to an end on the road against a Broncos team that has strung together some really quality wins against the Chiefs, uh against the Bills. And the magic continued last night. Big ups to Russell Wilson. I think this is the highest passing yardage total he's had in quite some time with 27 of 35, 259 yards, and that game-sealing touchdown to Cortland Sutton at the end there, but it was the defense that held strong. Josh Dobbs had a little bit of magic still left in him, but their final drive of the game came up just short. The Broncos win it 21 to 20. Jenks, did you get a chance to watch some of this game? What was your takeaway here?
1: I think the primary takeaway is that this is a clutch performance by the Broncos. If you looked at what Russell Wilson did with that I mean, they scored with a minute left to play. And you're talking about a Broncos team that had five field goals and four punts on their first nine possessions. So for this Broncos team to do what they did, a minute left in the game, Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, an incredible catch into the end zone. This was huge for the Broncos. And now we're talking about a Vikings team who had their five-game winning streak come to an end. The Broncos now have the longest winning streak in the NFL at four games. So this was a team that was absolutely left for dead early in the year so for them to rally the way that they have in what is really not a very good football team is really impressive
2: yeah it almost feels like the broncos are playing with house money now because nobody had expectations for this team after they gave up 70 points to the miami dolphins but now they're starting to look like an actual football team they have re arisen from the grave kind of like that gif of the undertaker that i love using on twitter where he just pops up out of the coffin that's the Denver broncos right now but i was interested from a market standpoint to see which team we should be selling high on because that's always the question when it comes to sports betting when you see a team that's riding this hot streak when's the time to sell out but I feel like after watching this game the answer was neither both of these teams went down to the the final seconds of this game and I will say it was the Vikings that actually covered the number in this one. Uh, the spread on this was two and a half so very much a sweat till the very end. But the Vikings cover even though the Broncos win outright primetime honors continue to be the play as the under 42 and a half hits. Jenks, I'm wondering when the pendulum swings when it comes to totals, because tonight a lot of people have asked me about this, where we've had such a hot trend to the under. I believe primetime unders are probably 26 and eight now, just from my mental math, which is still extremely hot to the under. But we've also had some really bad matchups, at least offensively speaking. Tonight we get the Eagles and the chiefs do you think this is a trend that's a matter of there is regression due at some point
1: i think it's matchup specific i mean at some point we are going to see this come down and that the market will adjust just because scoring in the NFL across the board, not just in prime time, but during the regular season thus far, has taken a tick downward. That's why we've seen unders be the trend. But, no, I don't think it's something that's necessarily going to correct tonight. I do think, overall, the market will settle like it always does because that's what makes Vegas so very good. They adjust the market accordingly. People continue betting a trend. And then that trend slowly starts to reverse. I think, overall... We'll see this trend continue as a whole because scoring is down. Again, that's just sort of where, we headed our, where we're headed right now in the NFL. But I also think that you can't get too stuck in thinking, okay, the market's going to correct because there are individual matchups that aren't necessarily in prime time, or maybe they are, that lend themselves to the under regardless.
2: Oh, for sure. Anytime like the Jets are playing, it's basically an under on your plate for you and has nothing to do with the primetime matchup. It's just they have a really good defense and a really terrible offense. So it's extremely matchup dependent as well. Going back to this game, what is the takeaway on the Broncos moving forward? Is this finally a team you think you'd bet on, even though I will say they didn't cover here?
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily think I would bet on them. I think what it shows is this is a limited football team based on their ceiling. Russell Wilson was very good, was not spectacular, but this is how they're going to win. This is the formula for them to win moving forward when you've got a guy like Sean Payton, who I will say was getting a lot of heat early in the season, but not so much now. He has done a very good job of playing to this team's strengths, which is, Let's not go crazy on offense, but Russell in situations where he's got to throw the ball 50 times a game. Let's lean on our defense, which is one of the better units in the NFL and have Russ make short passes or passes that are still within his skill set. And it's worked.
2: Yeah, I was surprised to see the Broncos run game kind of stalling out here. Because like you said, that's kind of been the identity of this Broncos team. And sure, the defense came up huge here with the turnovers. And I think that's a problem to watch moving forward as Josh Jobs and hanging on to the football, as good as a story he's been, that has been the one knock on him moving forward is that he sometimes fumbles in very inopportune moments. But looking at the run game in this one, the Broncos only had 46 rushing yards, which I think it's extremely impressive if you can win a game only running the ball for 46 yards so Russell had more of the onus on him in this one because he had to but what about the Vikings what about this team that you can tell that they've really rallied behind Josh Dobbs and they covered this one and it certainly was close and this is still a team with a winning record the Vikings are six and five is this a team that you would be willing to bet on moving forward?
1: Oh, absolutely not. I'm not trusting the Vikings. He's he's been an incredible story. Joshua Dobbs has been. And now he's the first quarterback in NFL history with three rushing touchdowns and at least three passing touchdowns in his first three games with the team. So that's never been done before. And Sean Pate was saying after the game, this is a guy who is a lot Bigger than we thought. He's a lot more formidable than we thought, at least physically. But ultimately, I feel like the Broncos and the Vikings are similar in that they have some talent, but they do hit their ceilings pretty quickly, which is why a game like this is pretty close.
2: All right. So moving forward, it will probably be matchup based. And up next, I'm seeing for the Broncos, they get to go on the road to, or excuse me, they play at home again against the Cleveland Browns, which have been another nice little story. Did you see over the weekend where Dorian Thompson Robson was crying after the game? It always makes me tear up when I see guys that are so emotional and so satisfied with the result. And I know it wasn't just DTR that really willed his team to a win. He was, you know, pretty mediocre. And it was really that defense that stepped up and a barn burner with the Steelers. But still, when you see a quarterback that cares that much, Because wasn't that the problem with Deshaun Watson is that people see the guaranteed money that he has gotten and the effort doesn't seem to be there. Like at the first sign of an injury, he's not playing. We don't know if he's showing up for practice. So I thought it was such a big contrast between what we saw from DTR and what we've seen from Deshaun Watson. And also, you know, the other connotations that are associated with Deshaun Watson are not the best either.
1: No, I think more than anything, this is a credit to ADTR, but also a credit to the Browns coaches. Because if you remember Dorian Thompson-Robinson's first start in the NFL, he was very good in the preseason. And then he had that first start against the Ravens. He was terrible in that game. He threw three picks in that game. So... It's easy, especially in the NFL, when you make an appearance or two and you don't look good on the football field, it's easy for coaches to give up on you, particularly when you're not a first-round draft pick, when you're not a guy who is slated to lead a team. So I give full credit to DTR and also the Browns coaches who said, yeah, you may have struggled in this spot, but instead of going to someone like P.J. Walker, we're going to give you a shot to prove what you can do and give you a longer leash. They did that and paid off for them.
2: I will say I was surprisingly satisfied with this matchup because I think my biggest takeaway is that now I will not be kicking and screaming and drugged to the TV to watch these teams. Because usually when you see a team take a nosedive and their quarterback goes down, they're kind of out of it. But it hasn't been the case for the Vikings. This team has been really fun to watch. We had a great matchup in Sunday Night Football that came down to almost the final possession. Same goes for the Broncos, a team that gave up 70 points earlier in the year. You kind of thought, okay, every time we're forced to watch them in primetime, it's going to be an absolute disaster. So I think that is the silver lining for these teams is from a national perspective. I no longer will be unsatisfied when I have to watch these teams.
1: Yeah, at the very least, we get some decent. Look, last time was a good football game, so you can say whatever you want about. The season that you expected from the Broncos, the season you expected from the Vikings. But I will say, considering where they started or the injuries that they've suffered along the way, particularly if you're talking about Minnesota and Kirk Cousins not playing, both teams have done a really nice job of sort of coming together and galvanizing themselves. That's not something you often see in the NFL. Things can go bad really quickly. We're seeing that with the commanders right now. But for these two teams, yeah, I think they're two respectable teams and Little surprise, too, with the Browns and the way they've come together under DTR. Of course, Deshaun's out for the season, but I did not expect them to get a win on Sunday
2: yeah there's been some great redemption stories in the nfl and teams that have kind of been left for dead that what do you know there's still some life that left and maybe they're a team you can trust at least in a very short window i think all of us saw that the commanders did not deserve to be nine and a half point favorites didn't see them losing outright but still it is redemption season in the nfl and we all have our popcorn coming up next what we learned from this week betting on college football and what it means for the college football playoff that's next on the daily tip presented by bet mgm
0: chelsea and jenks will be right back on the daily tip presented by bet mgm on the BetQL network Welcome back to The Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. With Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messenger on the BetQL network. Welcome back!
1: The Daily Tip from BetQL, presented by BetMGM on a Monday. Great to have you with us. Hope you're having a great time. Along with us here on the show, live across the country from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the East, she is Chelsea Messenger. I'm Michael Jenkins. Coming up in the next couple minutes, we will talk Week 12 in college football as we inch closer to that college football playoff. And that includes the Washington Huskies continuing to make their run at the Pac-12 championship. I am so bummed, and you touched on it in the first segment, Chelsea, about how JMU took the loss James Madison, not far from here in D.C., you're in Nashville, I'm in D.C., so this is a quick drive from here in the nation's capital. And I think most people know the story of James Madison by now. Of course, they get upset by Appalachian State, and they were 10-point favorites out there. They had college football game day from ESPN show up, and now they are ineligible. Well, they have been ineligible for most of the season because they made the move from – FCS to FBS to be eligible for a bowl game. And so here they are in the top 25, and Genu backers are looking around and saying, wait a second, we've had a great season, and you're going to punish us just because of this antiquated rule. We have to wait out, we have to sit out until you decide, the NCAA, you decide that we're suddenly eligible. Well, now this is going to get fascinating because despite the loss, Appalachian State winning 26 23 in overtime. The Virginia Attorney General Jason Miares is going to file a lawsuit against the NCAA next week, and he's going to ask the NCAA to make an injunction to make sure the Dukes are eligible for the postseason, and they're going to push that ban to the side. That's what the state of Virginia is going to ask for. I don't know if this is going to happen, but this is political posturing at its best, Chelsea. What makes everyone get behind a politician By God, we may disagree with you when it comes to the laws. We may disagree with you with some of your political stances, but we can all get behind the little guy trying to beat the man.
2: I also think this could be beneficial for the NCAA because doesn't this feel like a softball? Like, you know, it's a home run. If they're just like, okay, this will be our goodwill notion to the people. Mm -hmm. We let James Madison playing a bowl game meanwhile the bigger issue is still kind of lurking like I guess they've handed down the suspension for Jim Harbaugh but like doesn't that feel like kind of the black eye of college football maybe this is one way to kind of distract from what's been going on there and say hey look at us look at the NCAA we're so good at our jobs even though everybody knows that not that's not necessarily the case but don't you feel like this could be beneficial for the ncaa from a pr standpoint
1: i think it could be but the ncaa seems to me never interested in doing the right thing or doing anything that might shine them in a better light they consistently make arbitrary decisions (laughs) like like tez walker for north carolina right when he was out early in the year there was no reason for him not to be playing there was none there was just none Mike Brown spoke out about it. Other people spoke out about it. The college football world spoke out about it. And finally they were like, okay. Uh, Okay. Like they don't really have any reasoning for why they do what they do. And here I I, I see the point you're trying to make and I think it's a good one because this is, this is an NCAA instituted law, right? It's not like they decided this was a rule arbitrarily, but they want teams to think about, Hey, if you're going to try to move up from F, CS to FBS, you better think about that two-year period where you're not going to be able to do anything no matter how successful you may be. But ultimately, I don't think it's a rule that is truly necessary in today's day and age. I think you'd, you'd have a hard time if you're the NCAA defending this rule. So why not, for the one time in your existence, do something that everyone can get behind? Who's going to be upset if JMU makes a ball game? No one.
2: Yeah, absolutely no one. And you'd think that this rule seems stupid because if you're going to FCS to FBS or whatever it's the terminology is, the level of competition gets a lot harder. So usually you would think this is not even an issue because these are teams going from much lesser competition to playing with the big boys, per se. And usually you would probably struggle your first couple of years out the gate. And it just hasn't been the case for James Madison. They have been rolling over teams and they've been playing teams from big conferences. They beat Virginia, even though I know Virginia is having a down year. But still, this is a season in which James Madison, I think, has defied so many expectations that I don't think the NCAA thought that this would be a problem, but it is.
1: Yeah. And look, there's still time. For this to happen, it could happen today, but you know when it's going to the courts and the NCAA says, well, we're not going to do anything or they remain quiet about it. You just never quite know what they have in mind. Let's talk about what we saw in week 12 in college football, and we start with number five, Washington, downing number 11, Oregon State 22-20. Washington getting a point. They were minus 105 on the money line. Total set at 63 and the under hits. With the win, the Huskies clinch a spot in the Pac 12 championship game. Michael Penix Jr., 13 of 28, 162 yards, two scores, with both of them going to Rome Odunze. Final minute now
0: of the first half as Penix heaves it down into the inside. touchdown, Odunze for the second time tonight.
1: Chris Fowler with the call on ESPN. Adunze seven catches, 106 yards, and once again, here come the Huskies. This was a spot where a lot of people thought the Beavers might upset them because they had won nine straight in Corvallis. But that Huskies trade continues to roll. This was a huge one for them, Chelsea.
2: Oh, for sure, and a big one when it comes to the Heisman conversation because Michael Penix Jr. still very much alive. He is five to one, of course. Bo Nix, your favorite. But it feels like there is still maybe the door open for some chaos there. This is a line that was really tricky because usually when we see a line that doesn't make a lot of sense, you go the other direction. But when a game is decided by what, two points, I'm not sure what the takeaway is here. Like by the book, wasn't Oregon State probably the play here?
1: Oh, absolutely. We saw money come in on Oregon State. This is one of the better pass defenses in the entire country. That's why Michael Pinnock's had a very good game, but he wasn't unbelievable. Like, if you look what at what Bo Nix did, Bo Nix was just out of this world against Arizona State. Oregon won that game 49-13, and Bo Nix had six touchdowns all in the first half, which is why he's your highest trophy favorite. But, yeah, this was an absolute trap spot for the huskies and also it's not the case now but also this is a situation where oregon state could have could have absolutely run the table and made the pac-12 championship game itself had they won so they were plenty motivated this is a huge win again gotta give full credit to washington i saw a lot of people on the beavers including our own pj glasser except for double d who says he was on the huskies the entire time
2: Yeah, well, I think from the eye test, you say, okay, Washington's the better team, they have the much better quarterback here, even though it's been a great season for DJU, uh, and a great covering season from Oregon State, man, we've had some great matchups in the Mm Pac-12. I wonder if anybody's paying attention, because that's usually the case when it comes to the Pac-12. We have had some phenomenal games, and we have plenty of great teams coming from the Pac-12, which feels a little too late as the Pac-12 is disbanding just next year.
1: Yeah, also, something to keep an eye on. Oregon State, not that I'm going into the law reviews each weekend, but Oregon State and Washington State are trying to keep alive the Pac-12 as a two-team conference, and what they wanna do is then (laughs) have some sort of partnership with the Mountain West, and they wanna keep all of those Pac-12 assets from the past, the leaving members, Members of the Pac 12 who are going away to the Big Ten or wherever are saying, No, we're going to sue you and keep that from happening. So, this is a battle again tied up in the courts that maybe may or may not resolve in the next week or so. Let's go to the SEC. Enough this law talk. Number one, Georgia ripping. Number 18, Tennessee 38 to 10. Georgia laying nine. Georgia minus 365 on the money line. Total set at 59 and a half the under hits. How about the dogs? Carson Beck, 298 yards passing and three touchdowns, including one to his stud tight end. Carson Beck's got two touchdown passes today, looking for another. Throws it complete. Rosamie Jack Saint, number three on the day for Beck. Touchdown, Georgia. Mm-hmm. The Dogs become the first team to go undefeated in the SEC for three consecutive years since they moved to an eight game conference schedule in 1992. They also run their winning streak to 28 consecutive games. I thought Tennessee would keep this one close, and I was way off on that one. The Dogs are one of those teams you might expect this from them. They've gotten a lot better as the season has gone on.
2: Oh, for sure. And I think you see this number and you think this is a big number to lay in the SEC in a divisional matchup, but this is actually the lowest spread on Georgia all season long. Like, I couldn't even believe that when I saw it, because every single time that you have taken Georgia, you've had to take them at least um, minus 13, I believe. So at minus 10, this was actually the lowest number, the biggest bargain that you had on Georgia all season and long. And I think the biggest takeaway is that their offense is chugging along right now and it feels like a train that nobody can stop. Not even a Tennessee defense that came into this game, I believe, top 10 in sacks recorded. Georgia is just so head and shoulders above most of the teams in the SEC that we will see if Alabama can keep them uh, close to the vest or, you know, even close in that game. But right now, this is not an offense that I want to go in front of. Georgia has been rolling.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. They sure. I'll tell you another team that's rolling. I can't believe I'm saying this. Number 17, Arizona. Beats number 22, Utah, 42 to 18. Zona laying two and a half points. They were minus 145 on the money line. Total set at 47. And to hook the overhits, what a turnaround it has been. They win their final game ever at home as a member of the Pac-12. Noah Fafita. 22 of 32 touchdowns. Arizona jumps out to a 28-0 lead early in the second quarter. They were never challenged in this one. This is what a bad run it has been for Arizona and why it's so impressive what they've done this season. The Wildcats now have a five-game winning streak. their longest in nine years. They have also beaten four teams ranked in the top 25 in the same season for the first time since 1989. They were an auto-fade for a couple years now, and now here they are beating up teams in their own conference before they leave, having a great year.
2: Yeah, this is a textbook example of a team that the market was too low on. Look at the line in this, two and a half. And I think a lot of people came to this game thinking, okay, Utah has really gotten more of the spotlight due to their defense. They have had more spotlight games when they play USC. Usually it is on some network and we actually get to watch it. Meanwhile, Arizona just chugging along in the top 25 and this game was not even close. So I think it's one of those teams that number one, they're in the Pac-12 and number two, they're not even one of the favorite Pac-12 teams, so they have just been flying under the radar, and we saw that in the line. Two-and-a-half-point favorites went at 42-18. to 18.
1: Yeah, unbelievable. And finally, we should mention there were some huge stories over the weekend in college football. We mentioned Bo Nix. Jaden Daniels, you're talking about a guy who's making a run towards the Heisman Trophy. Hmm. He goes 25 of 30 for 416 yards, six touchdowns, also rushes for 96 yards and two touchdowns and a 56-14 win as LSU throttles Georgia State. So we talked about, hey, can Jaden Daniels make a run here? Now he's got eight touchdowns in this past game. A huge story down in Florida State where Jordan Travis out for the season that was awful to see, has a serious leg injury. But ultimately, if you're looking at Heisman Trophy odds and the quarterbacks involved, you've got Bo Nix at plus 110, Jaden Daniels now at plus 140, and then the aforementioned Michael Penix Jr. at 5-1. to one. This is going to be close, Chelsea, and Jaden Daniels is right there. We wondered when he was going to get the attention. It's coming all to him right now.
2: Oh, for sure. And I think my biggest question for his Heisman candidacy was can his team be good enough? Because usually in the past few years, it has been the best player from the best team in college football, or at least close to it. It's been a team that makes the college football playoff or something. But back when Lamar Jackson won the Heisman, I believe Louisville went to like the tax Slayer bowl. It was not one of the premier teams in college football. It was a good team, but it wasn't one of the main contenders. So I think if you can pad your stats Enough, and you are, you know, a dual threat quarterback like that, it's not out of the realm of possibility. You just really have to be that much better than the next guy if you're going against somebody who's from one of those blue blood schools. Not that LSU isn't, I'm just saying that their team really hasn't had Mm -hmm. the success that we've seen from previous Heisman winners. But this year, you know, there's not a, a candidate from Georgia, there's not a candidate from Ohio State. So you take those blue blood schools out of it. I think there's a chance
1: I think there is too and he just keeps on creeping up keeps on creeping up this is going to be stat pad city over the last few weeks <laughs> I'm surprised that Bo Nix didn't throw for another six in the second half just to keep those Heisman tro- Trophy hopes a lot he certainly was magnificent but six seated, six touchdowns in the first half Jaden Daniels had eight unbelievable and by the way if you're <laughs> curious he probably deserves a little more consideration. You have Marvin Harrison Jr. at 31. He's not going to win. That's almost impossible to do as a receiver, but he has been brilliant this season for more than about guys. Coming up next year on the show, time to move up a level and make our case for what we think happens tonight in Kansas City. We've got a preview of Monday Night Football on the way. She's Chelsea Messenger. I'm Michael Jenkins. It is a daily tip from Make You All presented by BetMGM. We're coming back right after this. To the show Today Jeff McDevall, presented by ben mgm she's chelsea messenger i am michael jenkins coming up shortly a rematch of last year's super bowl awaits us tonight in kansas city chelsea we are having some video problems right now so if you're seeing me you're seeing me at my worst look at this angle Good God, I need someone to prime me a ring light just like you were talking about. Send me one immediately. Maybe there's a warehouse down the street and somebody can bring me one because I'll tell you what does not look good. Fluorescent lighting. If you're trying to make yourself look good on camera, the last thing you wanna do is say, hmm, let me get under this fluorescent light when I'm about to hit the age of 50 and it'll look great on me. And I somebody has to take the hit. Somebody has to say, wow, you're right. Why are you in streaming right now? Well, I'm doing it for everyone else. Sacrifices have to be made, Chelsea, and I'm going to be the guy to make them.
2: Yeah, you look like you're at a Kmart. You know how depressing Kmarts used to be? Like, I don't know what the memo was, but they never used to care if half their lights weren't working. You're like, is this place abandoned? Like, has this been condemned? It's like, no, we're open. And now, like, Kmarts aren't doing so hot, if I am not mistaken. Have you seen a Kmart? Do these still exist?
1: i think they probably do they've just been i can search here because of the technical <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like who is search? oh wait i see deals on furniture toys and clothes and tools and tvs oh yeah they're still around i think they've downsized quite a bit and now because of my setup if ever i want to to type something, I have to lean into my computer and be like, hey, look at my big fat head <laughs> under this fluorescent lighting, it's even worse. Ugh. The only thing I think about, or one of the rare things I think about when I think about Kmart is the Icy. That was probably before your time. Does anyone remember the Icy? No, I of
2: course. Yeah, Icy's, right? you mix them, yeah. you did the, yeah. the red and the Coke or the blue and the exactly. red.
1: Yeah, those were dope. So one dope. thing about a Kmart that was good. Because you'd walk around, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this place is still open. And then you'd look in the distance and there'd be a fog from all the dirt inside the Kmart. And you'd be like, what is that? What is that light? And it'd be an old icy sign. You're like, "By God, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to get me an icy. Maybe I'll mix the cherry and maybe I'll mix the Coke and I'll just, everything will be right in the world. I bet they don't even do that anymore. No way they do.
2: Jinx, they do they have them at 7-eleven i had an icy the other day my daughter likes them um well no not at kmart i haven't been to kmart in ages and also it's just depressing to go in there because none of the lights work like i said uh but they still have this at 7-elevens even though theirs is the slurpee and they have like way more flavors although i think sometimes the more simple flavors are actually Mm -hmm. better do you ever think about this with like ice cream Like, I had plain chocolate ice cream the other day, and it was amazing. Like, there are so many ice cream flavors now that sometimes you forget, like, the main ones, they are pretty damn good.
1: Yeah, I'll crush. I love milkshakes. I don't allow myself to drink them all the time because it's just, like, chugging fat. But (laughs)
2: Liquid calories. Liquid
1: calories. (laughs) But a good chocolate milkshake, a good cookies and cream milkshake, there's another one. Oh, fantastic. You cannot go wrong with a milkshake. So I'm with you. Although I disagree with the idea that a Slurpee is an Icy. Those are two different things. I mean, I understand they're really the same thing. But I think it's my old, it's me reminiscing about the Icy and the old Icy cup, which used to have what vertical stripes. The stripes. One was sort of turquoise, the other was red. And you're like, ah, I got an Icy. It was very much an Icy trademark. So you're right, that the same thing. But getting back, that's a little sidebar getting back to your original point yes a good solid ice cream milkshake cannot beat it
2: i don't remember what our original point was oh it was the fluorescent lighting i was like why did we start talking about this but the other thing i was gonna say is i can say this about your angle now it is still better than the camera angle that we have during the nba when the referees explain the fouls have you seen this I think this is the worst angle ever. It literally looks like a 57-year-old dad trying to work Zoom for the first time. Like, it's at the lowest of low angles. They're looking directly into the camera, and you're like, whoa, I feel like I committed the foul. So think about it. The NBA, a billion-dollar league, is doing this. So don't feel bad about your camera angle because there are things that are worse.
1: That's what I felt like at the top of the show. I was like, where does (laughs) – is the the plug – because because the normal microphone is not working because of the issue, so I had to plug my headphones into my computer. So there was a different jack. I had to have my headphones in. So I'm like, wait, is it here? Do I need to? Do I still need the adapter? And hey, is this, is this Wi-Fi? Facebook? Is this Facebook? Are, are we Facebook timing right now? I'm like, God, I've never felt older. Can I just get a technical assistant to set this up for me, please? Here's one thing we we know a little bit of a little bit of something about i'm talking about tonight's monday night football game chiefs hosting the eagles the chiefs are laying two and a half points the chiefs are minus 150 on the money line now the eagles are plus 125 your total set at 45 and a half chelsea i've pontificated enough about IC's and facebook timing and headphones and ice cream and everything else tell me how you're gonna bet this guy
2: Yeah, it feels like Jets Raiders walked so this game could run. Like how many trash matchups have we had in primetime, you know, waiting for this one? So Mm -hmm. finally, a Super Bowl rematch between the Chiefs and the Eagles. I think your first glance is, okay, do we think that this game is going to go similarly to the Super Bowl? Because remember, that one was kind of a shootout. 38-35, of course, the Chiefs winning that one. But what I remember from that game is that Jalen Hurts was extremely... Volatile, or excuse me, extremely potent is the word I was looking for, with his legs. He had several touchdowns in that one, and I'm looking at his anytime touchdown. It's plus 125. We know that the tush push, the brotherly shove, whatever you want to call it, has been almost unguardable, and it feels like it is imminent just about every Mm -hmm. game. So off the top, that's kind of what my initial gut feeling was, that and Jalen Hurts with his rushing prop, because this is a team coming off a bye week. And I think you could mm-hmm. argue that the Philadelphia Eagles needed a bye week more than just about any other team in the league at this moment. Jalen Hurts was banged up last game. He needed some time to recover because it should be noted that the Chiefs are coming off a bye week as well. And we all know Andy Reid as a fantastic coming off a bye week. I think he's like 15 and two or something like that. Uh, so it's two trends kind of coming At a head towards each other, but this line's tricky because it's two and a half. Mm -hmm. If it was three, I'd be all over the Eagles, but at two and a half, it feels a little trickier, especially when the juice is on the two and a half, the minus two and a half for Mm -hmm. the Chiefs. So it looks like just based on the numbers and the juice here that the Chiefs are the play, but I don't know the Eagles off a bye week in a revenge spot. This is one that I don't think I will be taking a side in.
1: I am taking the Chiefs on the money line. It's right there at minus 150. It was minus 145 last night. Now it's sitting at minus 150. You could shop around, probably still find it in the minus 140 range. And really, I, I think this comes down to two things. Number one, you mentioned Andy Reid coming off a of bye week. He is a witch, an absolute witch coming off the bye week straight up. Andy Reid is 21 and 3 with mm-hmm. Kansas City. 21 and 3, and I know we'll focus on Jalen Hurts. I know we'll focus on Andy Reid. I know we'll focus on Patrick Mahomes. We'll focus on the big names and the coaches, but this is going to be about the Chiefs' defense, which I believe will be the the real differentiator in this game. The Chiefs allow less than 16 points per game. As a team, I believe it's 15.9. That is number one in the NFL. So as much as again, Patrick and that offense will will get the attention and the big names here, it's those guys on the Chiefs defense that I think ultimately hand this one over to Kansas City. I'm on the Chiefs' money line.
2: I think I would lean that way too. Even though if you ever get a chance at a good underdog, I think it's always really tempting because you look mm-hmm. at the Eagles and you say, okay, if you think these teams are similar, And you think that they're pretty evenly matched, which I would say if you're looking back at the Super Bowl, this is not the same Eagles team that we saw last year, even in the Super Bowl. Like, think about the pieces that they've missed on their defense. They've got new coordinators this year, and they are starting to look better and better each week, it seems. And, of course, coming off a bye week, one would assume that they look better. But you've got to remember, this is not the same team that played in the Super Bowl last year. So maybe keep that in mind if you do like the Eagles. And, Jenks, we always kind of walk down the path of same-game teasers, and I thought mm-hmm. maybe this is a good spot for it, but I can't decide on the total, which way I think this game is going to skew towards, because obviously you would take the Eagles plus 8.5 if you think this game's going to be right. relatively close, but a total of 45.5. So do you tease it down to 385 half? and hit the over, or do you tease it up and hit the under? Because honestly, I feel like I could see this game go in so many different directions when it comes to the total. You mentioned the defense for the Chiefs. If they slow this game Mm -hmm. down, the weather is not supposed to be great. We're supposed to see wind gusts of 20 miles an hour. It's supposed to feel like it's in the 30s in Kansas City. But then you look at these two offenses and you're like, okay, would anybody be shocked if we saw another 38 to 35 game? Probably not. So, do you right. have any clarity on a total here,
1: Chelsea? Why do you ask me these difficult questions?
2: Because <laughs> you're at <laughs> no, Kmart.
1: Because I'm at Kmart. Time. Because you're drinking an icy and you've got five <laughs> people in front of you and you have nothing else to do. I like the under. I like the under here, and I keep going back to that Chiefs defense. I also think when you look at primetime unders I feel like it's something that we just regurgitate time and time again but it's a real thing. They've hit at a 60% rate in primetime over the past few years. That's where the money is coming in and I just I believe when you take the weather into account as well, the path to an under seems more plausible to me. But you're right. That's that's what makes it scary when you think you're going to bet an under with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs going head to head good luck to you bro but I I do think if you look at how I expect things to align here I do think under 45 and a hook is a play
2: which way do you think both teams coming off a bye makes this total go because that's what I was thinking usually when there's like some factor that's different than other games both these teams are coming off a bye do you think that lends itself to better offense or better defense
1: well, you can make a case either way, right? <laughs> I think honestly, it depends on if you look at each individual team, where are you most banged up? So if you've been really mm-hmm. banged up defensively and you come back and you're good on defense like the Chiefs, it helps you there. It's oh, a loaded question, Chelsea. Coming up next on the show, who had the best weekend? We're going to play MVP Monday next to the Daily Tip for Becky Mills. And bye, Better Jeff.